up a new series today called Seven Letters for Seven Churches. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah, good. <laughs> so we're going to be reading through each of the seven letters or messages that Jesus sent to seven churches in Asia, and he sent them through John, through John's revelation. And I I was wondering as I started this out, like, why, why these seven churches? Because there would have been a lot of churches already underway by about this time period, around 90 AD, which is when John wrote this, uh, the book of Revelation. In fact, he wrote it on a, on a little island called Patmos, which is where he was um, held in uh, isolation or captivity. And so... You know, I was wondering, well, why are these seven? Well, if you have a look at the map that, that will pop up on the screen here, uh, you'll see Patmos down in the bottom left-hand corner there, and you'll notice that Ephesus and then moving on from there are actually the seven churches that Jesus chose to address. And so they're all in this one kind of location right near to where John was at the time, and there's, there's a road that links them all together at his time as well. And so perhaps this is like a circuit or a district for, is another way to think of it, like a district of churches. So it's not like Jesus was just picking on them, but they were a good example for the wider church. It was going to be written down. It made the Bible for us today as well. But hopefully now you can see that picture. These weren't just seven random churches that were scattered around. They, they actually had a connection together. We often read Paul's letters, and we've done whole letters as sermon series before. We mind them for all the lessons for us and what Jesus is trying to say. But here we've got letters from Jesus himself, direct to the church. They're really short. Uh, they somewhat um, have a similar theme all the way through, and, and that's okay for us to, to hear that week after week as well. But there's something in here for, for us today, and that's why we're going to follow along. So as a way of introduction to the series, we're going to start in chapter one of Revelation in verse four. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the things of the world. Actually, quite an important little paragraph there. It's, quite a, it's a good Trinitarian passage, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and John references a sevenfold spirit. And there's a lot of debate and thought about what that means, but the, the, the number seven was often used as, as a symbol for God's perfection. Most importantly, John reminds us, you know, the foundation of the church is the resurrection of Jesus. And so there it is right at the beginning. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Again, foundational stuff. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And then there's a little indented section in our Bible that often means it's a song or a poem or maybe it's a reference to the Old Testament. I think it's probably more of a song. He says, look, he comes from the clouds of heaven. And everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, and amen. 
Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshipping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. I did practice that one beforehand. I knew it was going to catch me out. Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. I love good white slash gray hair. It's good to know that I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus here. The rest of it, no. His eyes were like flames of fire. He sees things. His feet were like polished bronze. He's a firm foundation, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. You know, the thing we have to always remember about Revelation and how to understand it, this is a vision given to John. And it's a vision filled with symbolism, but those symbols all mean something. The first point I'm going to make to you today is that the sign of a church that belongs to Jesus is his presence. In this case, the lampstands represent the church where the presence of Jesus is. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, all the way back to Exodus and Leviticus, it, there was a lamp that they had to have in the tabernacle and it had to be lit all the time. It couldn't go out. It was like an eternal flame in a way. It represents the presence of God with his people. So each of the seven churches are represented by a lampstand. That means God's presence was with that church. That's why Jesus... You know, uh, John calls him the son of man, was standing in the middle of the lampstands in John's vision. To make that clear for us, it's the presence of Jesus that fuels those lampstands. People should be able to experience the presence of his presence in a church that proclaims his name. We go on with verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. As if I was dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Isn't that amazing, our God? We just read about how mighty he is, the first and the last, and he just lays a gentle hand. Don't be afraid, he said. I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening Important, the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Again, seven, it's a symbol of God's perfection. The church is complete when Jesus is at the center and his presence is worshipped. When he 
is followed, when he is obeyed, and that sword, it represents his words, it cuts through effectively. The stars are the messengers of the church. He refers to them as angels. So we're going to read uh, one letter per week. And as I said, there's overlapping themes, okay? So if you feel like I'm going to repeat myself, guess what? The Bible repeats too. So it's okay for us. Maybe we need to hear it a few times sometimes for God's word to to sink in. And we're going to respond. Since these letters are for the church today, they're as much as for that New Testament church as they are for us. So letter number one, that's the end of my intro, by the way, to this series. Letter number one, Revelation chapter two, starting in verse one. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus, slash Everton Hills. I added that bit in. (laughs) Yeah. This is the message. From the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. We'll stop there. Because point two is that God knows the real you. And he sees everything. And God knows the real us collectively. And he sees everything. I like how Jesus does a love sandwich. You know, he starts off with what he likes, what he's good with. It's nice, isn't he? He builds us up a bit first before he brings a bit of hard truth. And you'll see later, he he goes back to the love sandwich a little bit at the end. You know, hard work, tick, for this church. Patient endurance, that's a tick. No tolerance for evil people, that's a tick. Likewise, they use discernment and test the claims of teachers. Let's make sure that um, the teachers are teaching us the truth. Tick. And they don't quit when the going gets tough, like some do. Tick. Jesus is happy. These are good things about this church. Note that he says he sees, he knows all the things we do. Each of us personally and and us corporately as his church. He knows all the things, just in case we forget that. The good and the bad. He sees and he knows. There's no point pretending we're something that we're not. You know, pretenders actually tend to always get found out, hey, in the end. What we do and say in secret, behind closed doors, is important to God. Probably more important than what we do and say in public. In the end, what we do behind closed doors and in private actually reveals who we are. And who we are is what really matters most to God, more than what we do. That's what he's looking for. Who we are. It's behind closed doors that the real person kind of comes out. You know, how we talk to our spouse and kids, how we talk about others, maybe in the workplace or at, at school, what we're doing with our time, where we, what we uh, consume with our eyes and our ears, how we use our money, the sacrifices we make for God and others. He, he sees all these things. And it's the same collectively for us. 
as his church as well. He sees all that we do as a church. He sees it. That's what he's saying. I know. I know. You know, the integrity and character of pastors and leaders. He knows. The culture within the ministries. How people treat each other. How, how we sacrifice for each other. You know, are, are we prideful or are we humble? Are, are we outward focused or only inward focused? Are we upward focused or just me focused? He sees all that we do. He knows. He knows what's important to us. Are we focused on the main thing or are we just spiritually dead? Which Jesus now lists actually as his concern. Verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. It's like, okay, (laughs) here we go. He says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And he's really concerned. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and the things you did at first. Number three today is God's main concern is actually how we love. The the identifying feature of God's church is love. You know, we talk about his presence like a lampstand. That's the sign of the lampstand. That's the sign of his presence. If it's missing, God, he will have a problem with us because that's what he wrote to this church. I've got a problem. And people will notice, by the way, this is what concerns him. Love for God, love for each other, love for people. All the other stuff in our lives and in the life of the church are way behind this. It's number one for God. It's, it's got to be number one for us too. Love for God, love for others. That's the top of the list for us. It's the first thing in the first church that he identified had gone missing or at least was no longer the top priority. So how are we going with that? Since his word questions us today, how are we going with that? All the other stuff we do is a distant second. Important, by the way. You know, we've got a lot of stuff going on within the church, don't we? It's all important stuff that I love and it's good. But it's second. If we don't love God first, all the other stuff, all the hard work, all the excellence, the systems, the processes, the programs can become worthless. We remember what Paul said, don't we, in 1 Corinthians 13. It just starts to sound like just a noisy gong. We have to talk about loving God all the time. We have to. I hope you don't get sick of it. I I understand. (laughs) Why do they always go on about it? Well, because God says it's number one, it's first. Love him and love others. Non-stop. God himself is referred to as love. You want a description for him? That's, That's him. We have to seek the Holy Spirit to transform us, to live it and to be it, to be love, to perfect our love, to live out that love through God's power. I really think this is, if if you're always wondering, what's this holiness stuff that you go on about? I think this is what it looks like. Love God and love others. You'll note that Jesus, he, he didn't write an email to the church and say your music's not good enough. He didn't write an email to the pastor and say your preaching's not up to scratch. 
or the buildings could be better, your congregation size is not right, or your Bible translation is not the right one, you know, your systems, your programs need to be better. He, that wasn't in here. He, he didn't write that, that message. And as I said, all those things are important and they have a purpose, but they don't mean anything if we don't have the zeal for Jesus that we had, you know, when we first encountered him. Do you remember that time? When all of a sudden Jesus was real to you for the first time in your life and you had that zeal for him. That's what he wants. We continue verse 5. He says, If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds that the Nicolaitans, of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. The Nicolaitans come up again in another letter, so we'll get back to what they're about, okay? But again, the little love sandwich was there. Good, good job on that one. Number four is he can withdraw his presence. Now, now, it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's something about God's presence in a church who gets love right. It's the main caution. If you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you don't love others like you, you love yourself, you could be losing something important because my presence doesn't seem to get represented there very well. You could lose the presence of Jesus because without love, the church is not the church of Jesus. It's just as simple as that. And it's a warning. Take love out of the church. Jesus is kind of saying, I might just have to pick this up and remove it out it's a warning the presence of Jesus is in the church that really understands love love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion and generosity and love for God love for people in that church where followers of Jesus remember their first love that's not the brightest lamp in the world this one but when love is in the church, that goes, that's bright. That's bright. So how bright is it for us? Brighter than that cheap Ikea lamp, I tell you. Or I hope it is anyway. How bright is it? On the other hand, jealousy and grasping for power and gossip, you know, anger and greed and bitterness and selfishness, maybe judging others. Lack of care. I see the worst in people all the time instead of the best of people all the time. You know, grumpiness even, impatience, lack of self-control, disobedience, a church like that, it's in danger. I think of the lamp going dimmer and dimmer and eventually I just feel like Jesus is saying, hey, you know, those things don't represent me. My presence may not be there so much. So he's calling us today. He says, come back to your first love. To turn our affections, you know, towards him, to embrace the relationship with him he really wants to have with each of you here today and us together to love and obey. Actually, he uses the word, he even says, just repent. Repent. That simply means I don't want to be like that anymore. I'm, I'm going to go this way now. I'm going back to my first love. We have to change our mindset even, you know, when we've got the wrong thinking. 
the wrong priorities. It's, it's a discipline to say, I love you, Jesus, for what you did. You did hang on that cross for me. I'm going to go all in for you. What would that look like for you? That's the question I have today. What would that look like for you? What would have to change? Like what attitudes? What behaviors? Is there addictions? What would you have to give up, perhaps? What would you have to start doing? Further, what would we as a church have to change? And I just want us to, I don't, I haven't written down answers to any of those questions today. I want you to ponder them yourself. As we close today, would you reflect? Because this is the word of Jesus to us. Is he our first love? Is he? Because a church that prioritizes love for Jesus and love for people is the church where the presence of Jesus, the lampstand, comes right back into the middle and it shines brighter. There's a little bit more to this letter. Point five is the promise is everlasting presence. Everlasting presence. For those who stay true to their first love, verse seven, anyone who hears with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit. Open to what the Spirit's telling us today and understand what He is saying to the church, to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What a beautiful promise for us to finish on today. Let's just take a moment and reflect on those questions. about Reflect on the word that Jesus wrote to us today. Let's just close our eyes. I'm going to pray. God, we, we want your presence in this church to shine brightly. We want your presence, God, the people so much so that people will notice when they encounter us, that they'll encounter you when they encounter us. So our prayer today, actually it's it's not to ask anything right now, God, it's just to say, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for your amazing grace. that you loved us when we were still sinners and now we're right with you but God we want to be filled with love for you and for other people so we turn our eyes to you this morning just for this in this moment and look to you we can see the love in your eyes We give our life to you.
just as we're sitting here, we're going to sing that old chorus.